Warning, the following podcast may contain some fits of extreme nerd rage, especially when it comes to the world of professional wrestling. As such, there may be a few colorful pieces of language thrown around. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. I'm, of course, your host, James Shimo, and we are here back in better than ever on the newly revamped Shimo Media Network podcast network. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm, of course, James Shimo himself, and I'm joined, as always, by my two wonderful co-hosts, Mr. Brenton McPherson. Brenton, how's it going, buddy? Going pretty good. It's been a while since we've done this, but you know what? It, you know, we needed to change or not change some things. Uh, you needed to, you know, work on some stuff. I think I needed to work on some stuff personally, and not sure what Ron's been up to, but we'll get into that later. And it's good to have. It's good to be back. Absolutely, hundred percent great to be back. And of course, like Brenton mentioned, our other co-host, the wonderful and talented Mr. Caramel Mountain Ryan Payne. Ryan, what's going on, buddy? Well, start of a new year, but uh, I spent. I'm honestly nothing much. Spent the last year just in a constant work grind hustle mode. So uh, hoping this year to really enjoy myself a lot more, at least find a delicate balance. And I think that is something important to bring up. And, and yes, we did go on a very extended hiatus uh, this last year with the podcast. And I know for some of our loyal viewers, that's probably a little upsetting. Uh, but it's important to remember, guys, life happens to all of us this is not our primary job this is just something we do as a hobby for fun this was something we were able to make money at have our own studio really do everything that we wanted to do with it and we didn't have to work day-to-day jobs we absolutely would be doing that and it would be our number one focus but as of right now it's just a little side hustle but we try to do the best that we can with it we are going to try to be a lot more consistent with it in 2024 and keep it going as best as possible but for right now, all we can offer is our sincerest apologies to our loyal fans. Hope you guys understand and hope you'll stick with us as we continue forward with all the great stuff that we have planned, especially some of the other shows that I have planned for the Shimo Media Network as we continue forward. With that being said, let's go ahead and get into today's topic. So as we usually do every year at the beginning of a new year, we take a look back at the year that was, in this case, 2023. Now there was a lot of, a lot of good stuff, a lot of positives that came about in 2023, but unfortunately, we're not here to look at the cream of the crop today. We are instead here to look at the cream of the crap, which is the worst that happened in the world of professional wrestling in 2023. And I'll be honest, there were there was a very short list that went into this. There was there was not really too much to really dig into and dissect that I couldn't have really put into a much larger category as a single entry, realistically. I don't know about you guys, but I had a really difficult time really stretching this list out to five like definitive worst moments. Uh, what would, I would say, what was your experience like with this one? Yeah, I'll be, yeah, honestly, it's difficult. I mean, there's a couple of recurring stuff, but to be honest, no matter what, despite if people go online and constantly are amongst the internet wrestling community, despite all the hot, I'm doing air quotes here, hot button topics and hot takes people throw out. Wrestling this, in 2023 has been very consistent in quality. A couple of, there's been a few dips, but nothing that really stood out, honestly. So yeah, it took me a while to actually go through and find what, in my opinion, what I thought was the worst. Yeah, I know, Brent, you and I were talking before we went on the air. You were having a similar problem. Yeah, it it was, honestly, I found more best than I did worst. Like, yeah, there was a couple of hiccups. And a couple of different things, which you know we'll get into. Um, but all in all, you know it was it was a it was a pretty solid year for wrestling all around. And it's in my opinion, we hadn't had that in a while. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like a rising tide lifts all ships, if you will. And you know, I feel like we'll talk about part of the catalyst for that 
when we get into our best of the year episode, which will be airing a little bit later this week. But let's go ahead and dip into our best of or our worst of list. So for those of you who have not seen our show before, this is kind of an abbreviated uh, version of our top 10 list that we usually do, where we will start off. Ryan will give us his number five entry on the list. Then Brenton will give his number five and I will give mine. And then we'll just ping pong until we get to the top of our individual lists. Now, if at any point we hit on somebody's uh, list, a point of commonality that happens a little bit higher on somebody else's list, somebody will call for a punt. Now, for example, if Ryan's number five is the same as mine number two, for example, I will call for what is known as a punt, meaning we'll just put a pin in that conversation and we will wait until it gets to that higher point on my list to talk about it in depth. Okay, I think I've explained that as best as possible. So without any further ado, let's get right into it. Ryan, what was your number five worst moment or worst thing in the world of pro wrestling? My worst, I'll be honest, my number five, this honestly just could have been uh, honorable mention or just a taste of preference. But to me, this is kind of just a taste of preference by number five. My number five is actually a long championship reigns honestly um okay yeah i didn't necessarily have that but i could i can understand that brenton do you have that anywhere on your list uh no i well uh, it could have been honorable mention but yeah. i i actually didn't think about that um yeah me either well like i'm saying like this is a taste of preference to me because when it comes down to it the creative booking when it comes to creating uh very interesting angles or wrestlers or even matches you want people to invest in especially when it comes around a championship it doesn't matter if it's a tag championship a singles title in the men's or the women's division you have to, there needs to be something involved to get the people interested and when you have a champion you want to try to make them stand out just to give someone a long championship reign just to have one is not really going to help them in the long run sure it'll get them it'll make them a hot button it'll make them a hot commodity but who knows exactly once the title's off of them what's it going to say about them down the road now my <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I was actually going to bring that up. <laughs> well, he's just one of my examples, honestly. Roman Reigns is one of my examples. And now, obviously, kayfabe, breaking kayfabe, we know they're putting that belt on him because they want him to break the record currently that's been on the WWE for a while. I think just recently he's broken Pedro Morales' record. No, not Pedro Morales, but... um, It was... Uh, was it Pedro Morales' record? I don't remember which one it was. But I, know I know he has two. I know Morales has two long records, one for the Intercontinental and for the world title. I just can't right. remember if it was that one he broke. Otherwise, he's breaking the longest. I mean, that... No, that's Bruno. I think, I, think, I think Gunther's the one who's about to break Pedro Morales' record for longest combined days yes. for the Intercontinental yes. title, maybe. I think that might be what you're thinking of. No, no, I'm definitely thinking of... No, actually, that one with Gunther, that actually works because it works for his character. The thing is that with the way he wrestles in the ring, the way he's presented... The, the stable he has with a fate. I can't, I forget their their new names. But uh, Ludwig Kaiser and uh, Giovanni Vinci. With Giovanni and Luther, the way that they are presented together as Imperium, because Walt, because Gunther's reign made sense when he was Walter in NXT UK, and it trans, it took a while, but it works so well in your kind of title. And he's given great matches. Now, Roman, on the other hand, Jesus Christ. It's like they literally just after the they finally solidified the bloodline, it literally just became he someone challenges him, he does heal his shit, someone interferes, he wins, rinse, repeat. There were a few times in Roman's reign where the world for the universal title became necessary, 
But afterwards, to be honest, outside of Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, and uh, Cody Rhodes, not many other people, there's not any other memorable matches or even memorable moments in Roman's reign. Play on words there. Yeah, which is sad, especially because one match comes to mind. And not because the match is memorable, but you have two memorable people in the match. And that's Roman Reigns versus LA Knight. Like... That match should have been, you know, with the, the with the way you know LA Knight has become, that match should have been great, but it's not memorable at all because no. it's like a, just another match in Roman's freaking you know reign. Yeah, and I think one of the main reasons, obviously, before a certain CEO was boosted out of power, one of the main reasons that was an issue with Roman's reign was because of that. That that uh, title merge, the unification of the titles he had with Brock Lesnar. If the universal, if the uni, uh, if the universal title was separate, and Roman, then Roman having that title for a long time would have made sense. So then the WWE title would have been perfect for any wrestler to let's say finish their story or to become a dominant star. But I don't want to focus too much on Roman. I have a few other examples, but I'm only going to shorten it down. Another one, I'm going to flop it over onto AEW. Now with AEW, when they do their long reigns. It's actually, honestly, some of their long reigns really make sense. I understand why Jericho had the title for a long time, why Mox had the title for a long time, especially during the pandemic. He was their flagship buddy. I understand why Kenny Omega had that belt for a long time because they built him as this unbeatable final boss. Then when, and, and currently with MJ, and now with just recently with MJF, why he held it for a long time. And with MJF, his long reign worked more of a transition of his character where he started early in 2023 as a chicken shit heel who'd have people go leaps and bounds to beat him to in the middle of 2023, where he became more face-like, taking more risks. That worked beautifully with his reign. Now, one reign in 2023 that I thought sucked and never fixed itself was the now recently NXT signed, or WWE signed, Jade Cargill. Her TBS title reign honestly made no fucking sense to me. Undefeated, great. Can you give me something, some elements in that story to justify her TBS title reign instead of the fact she's undefeated? Oh, she got the baddies? Guess what? They were cannon fodder. Did not work. She had few matches of brilliance against Sky Blue and Willow Nightingale. Otherwise, her reign is very forgettable. It made her a huge commodity for WWE pickup. Otherwise, Jade was just someone who I thought was pushed way too soon, needed more time to grow, to, to justify her reign, or at least need a better person to book and and write her story. Now, there's a few others, but I'm going to stop myself right now so we can keep moving forward. But as far as I'm concerned this year, creativity when it comes to creativity and creating memorable storyline matches, or these moments in a storyline, long title reigns really quash, are, are really right now my number five for the worst. Gotcha. Point of order here. Uh, Roman Reigns currently is 30 days away from breaking John Cena's record of the fourth longest title reign in WWE history of 12, uh, 1,254 days. Okay. So that is where we're looking at. There are rumors that they want him to break Hulk Hogan's title reign of 2,188 uh, days. Please, for the love of God, stop it. I was but, thinking Hogan, but I'm like, no, Hogan had a longer held over excuse me, over Morales. In my opinion, enough's enough. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Brenton, you're number five, please. Mine goes to, it's a it's a mix of the, it, it kind of the storyline with the bloodline, but in particular, two members of the bloodline. 
and that is Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso yet again. Okay, yeah, didn't have that on my list, but I could see how that would qualify. It is an honorable mention. So here's my thing. So 2020, that was a great story. A great story in 2020, and then you okay. So then you know you knew the Usos eventually they would have the Usos turn on Roman. Right. They get fed up with his shit and they would turn on him. And you knew Solo would stay with Roman. I mean, it just kind of was a given. But to start it, like you know, Jay's not going to win the freaking title for Roman. You know he is not. It's like so. Why have him do that? And then to have someone who was trying to talk Jay into turning on Roman and Jimmy in turn, turn on Jay and rejoin Roman. It's because nobody will see it coming, bro. It'll be the greatest thing in the history of the business, bro. It's Vince yeah, Russo. It really wasn't bad. It really it, undercut a lot of the story, especially when the Uso split. They were really painting that story that Jay was the West. Jay gave Roman his first defeat from the shield. They really had paint that story very well. Even if Jay wasn't going to win, even then that, that the, the tribal match, if they actually treated like it was a no holds barred match, that would make so much sense, but they didn't even market it that way. I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was Vince McMahon channeling a little tumor in his colon by the name of Vince Russo. That's exactly what it was. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there watching it. And I'm going, what is going on? First off, this match is a clusterfuck. And yeah. two, the the finish was just like, why? this? If you're gonna label a match tribal combat, like I expected somebody to be like I expected Jay to like have Roman in like a cross face choking out with a tiki torch or something. Like, I mean, yes. like something nearby, having like fit, like have him wrestling and like sarongs or like some like some kind of like i expected them to come out like looking like it was that scene in hobbs and shaw when the samoans all came out to face yes. off and elbow like do something entertaining for god's sake yeah, yeah really establish the gimmick of this match and then all of a sudden it's like oh it's a no false count anywhere match yeah that's all it was Tribal, I mean, there was something very, especially the way they built up towards it, where Jay and Roman had the respect towards each other. Roman's like, uh-uh, this is my title. And Jay's like, I've been your loyal guy. I should have the respect. So when you do a tribal combat, it should have been should have been something. Almost in a way, kind of like with the Ring of Iron with their pure championship. At least they have rules for that match to give limitations to the wrestlers to create something. This one was just like, cool name. We'll We'll explain it later. And I was there at SummerSlam in the audience. Nobody, they never, even during the entire pay-per-view, they never even, when it was break time, they never even said the rules of the Tribal Combat match until it got there. No, but that's the thing. At least if you're going to have it called Tribal Combat, have it dripping with the atmosphere of that Samoan tribal culture. Like, do something. Like, especially when you've got actual Samoans there to let you know what that culture is all about. Like, and make it mean something. Especially like, how much Vince loves to milk the history some of the Annoy family have in WWE. You'd think he'd actually try to honor it. <laughs> exactly. Like, have Roman, like, as he's doing his whole entrance with the music and everything, have, like, some tribal fire dancers coming out with him or some shit. Like, do or, something cool. Or for nostalgia's sake, have Jay Uso do the uh, that little a tribal the dance oh, yeah, the whole thing, when, yeah. when he first debuted in wwe you know yes. really bring the nostalgia back <laughs> something for god's sake it was, yeah it was it's oh god it was it was just bad it was just bad all around it's like why is this happening like, like 
Oh god, I'm like, y'all are doing so good, and then pew. Because that's the thing, it's like, you know, at least for all the shitty ideas that AEW's had, at least they go all the way with their shitty ideas. You know, and I'm, we'll get into one of those here in just a minute. So, um, actually, yeah, it's it's in, in one of my actual things. So anyway, uh, I'll go ahead into my number five. My number five has to do with a young man who got picked up by WWE, took forever to have his first match, and when he did, stunk out the joint ridiculously. Ooh. I know exactly what you're talking about. Ooh. My number five is Gable Steveson. I so forgot about him. I really forgot about him. Oh, man. Sorry, This guy couldn't have a good match against Baron Corbin, who, let's be fair, as much as we can't stand his booking sometimes, can put on at least a serviceable match with just about anybody. And this was the drizzling shits. It was. And then a double fucking counter. Like, that is just baffling levels of horseshit. And we haven't seen him on TV since. Now, granted, from what I've heard, he just recently had a dark match on SmackDown this last week. So who knows? Maybe they're trying to get him out, get him tested in front of more audiences, see if he can handle the pressure, and then they're going to reevaluate him. I don't know. I don't know if it's a live audience he needs to work with. I think they should start off small, like really get him to understand working in a flow of a match, then get him a small crowd to work with, even if it's just fellow wrestlers. Get him in that mental mentality, that mindset, because that's the sad part. This man, he's an Olympic-level athlete, an Olympic wrestler, and I understand they brought him. He's going to he, – they, they wanted to recreate maybe their moment with Kurt Angle or give another right. version of him. And that, but... that's why that's why I put it only as my number five because I feel like a lot of the undue pressure of labeling him like the next Kurt Angle put him in a no-win scenario from the jump. Now, granted, yeah. the match itself wasn't great, and you've been working with this guy for over a year, year and a half. He should be at a better point than this, I feel, but you also kind of set him up to fail in that regard. So rehab and everything as much as you can, but eventually you got to ask yourself, is it better to keep working at this or do you need to cut bait and move on? Uh, Ryan, you're up. Number four. Okay. Uh, my number four, I guess for my 2023, I really wanted to branch out from mainly focusing on two simple promotions. So this one for me, I, it, I'm going to be talking the shortest on. It's mainly going to be... Um, my number four is on New Japan Pro Wrestling, and it is, um, what the fuck is going on with Bullet Club? Okay, yeah, I didn't have that listed here, but yeah, I can see why why you would put that there. Because yeah, Bullet Club has looked like it's in shambles for a while. I mean, I didn't have that on my list, um, but I can see that. Yeah, it's, they've been in a clusterfuck yeah. all, all last year. And, and look, like I said, I'm just branching out. I haven't watched, and I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of New Japan, not because I don't have uh, their, I don't have access to their streaming service, which I most likely could. It's just because of that, you know, financial issues. And so I tried to say yeah. I, and whatever matches I can watch on YouTube, that's for free. That's more than just five minute clips. But beyond that, seeing what's been going on with uh, their Bullet Club, like at first 2023, their issues with leadership with Jay White involved. And then, of course, Jay White's making his transition into AEW. Then they bring in with Fit Dave Finley. Now, honestly, um, from reading on some posts online, as I've seen it, regarding people's opinions of Finley, how he just didn't look like the right pick for Bullet Club. And then, of course, revamp. Then, like, a mini feud happening to where him and then, oh, my God, five other members of Bullet Club 
were getting rid of the old guard and creating their own with war dogs. And just now recently of this, and just of this year, he's now won their new New Japan Global Championship. So clearly there's somewhere in management where they see Finley as a heel, but it doesn't seem to be coming across that way because I've I've looked I've looked I've watched some interview portions involving him. He really doesn't sound honestly compared to the previous uh, New Japan. Uh, I mean the new the previous Bullet Club leaders of the past from Prince Devitt, Finn Balor, Carl Anderson, Kenny, Jay White. He really just doesn't have it yet. Um, maybe it'll turn around, but man, I honestly just don't see anything with him happening and now that they're building up with will osprey him and united empire are going to face off against war dogs hopefully 2024 will turn things around but right now this definitely feels like this could be the nail in the coffin of this faction as far as i can tell because they really weren't looking good in 2023 i mean because honestly i was more interested in other splinter aspects of bullet club with Ace Austin and Chris Bay in, in, in TNA, and then of course Jay White forming his own Bullet Club faction, a Bullet Club Golden AEW. And I don't know if WWE is trying to recreate the club with AJ and the others now, but it doesn't look like they're moving forward with that. No, not really. They got a, they honestly have a better chance of doing that with the Judgment Day with Finley than they do with AJ at this point. Yeah. So I've been more entertained by the quote unquote Bang Bang Gang than I have been traditional Bullet Club lately. Yeah, because the most I've seen regarding with this new version of Bullet Club, it literally did look like in the early years of 2023, they really put all their eggs in that basket of turning Finley heel, trying to make him this dangerous leader, and it really was never coming across to me, at least. Whenever I watched certain matches of his, or when he would attack guys, it just looked to me like, okay, New Japan... Whoever, at least the old guard of management now because, you know, the current president is gone and we got a new president in. But it just never looked to me like Bullet Club was really looking good. I mean, heck, Chaos, Los Fax, and, and Gold Bernables, even United, em- I mean, United Empire were looking 10 times better than this new version of Bullet Club. And this is someone who, I mean, got New Japan because of Bullet Club when it was transitioning from Carl Anderson to Kenny Omega as leader. Oh, when AJ no, when I when AJ became in there, when it went from AJ to Kenny Omega. So to see this rough change here, like a part of me wants to hope it gets better because that does feel like a great faction for non-Japanese wrestlers, the Gaijin talent. But it just doesn't seem nothing's clicking there. Yeah, uh, Brenton, anything to add? You know, I I've, like I like David Finley. Um, I think he he's got the look. He's not he's not bad in the ring. One thing he needs to work on is his mic skills, his promo skills. Um, I think they just made him leader too early. Is my my only thing. Um, yeah, do I, do I think he could be leader? Yeah, I think he could. Um, but do I think they should have made him leader this quickly? No. Yeah, yeah like this one was like I said. This just like my number five. This one's kind of like a taste of preference, honestly, not like an overall worst. I mean, a, a lot of these are going to come down to taste of preference, I'm sure. But anyway, uh, but yeah, I, like I said, I don't really have a dog in this fight because I don't follow uh, New Japan as much. But like I said, I'll uh, I'll I'll content myself with the Bang Bang Gang over in AEW if I really want to follow anything Bullet Club related at this point. So, uh, so Brenton, what about your number four? So my number four is a little outside of the box. Um, it's not really. It's a. It's a. It's a moment. Um, some people may not know about it. Um, but that is Dante Martin's leg injury. Oh my god! Uh, I'm gonna Ooh. I'm gonna slightly call a punt on that um, because it ties Ooh. into 
a larger thing I've got later on. All right. So with that being said, I'm going to go into my number four. My number four has to deal with a little wrestling promotion that around the time of the pandemic, you know, granted still had a rabid fan base, but funds deteriorated, this, that, and the other. Had to go on hiatus, was picked mm. up by uh, a certain billionaire. And now if you want to watch their weekly television product, you got to fork over a handful of cash rather than just being able to watch it on YouTube or anything like that. So my number four is the fact that Ring of Honor TV is stuck behind a paywall. That's actually my three. <laughs> All right. So let's bitch about it. Anyway, but yeah, like as much, and that's the thing is because of that and because they can't get on regular television to where you can see their stuff for free, a lot of their their storylines and a lot of their championships are getting bogged down on AEW TV rather than having an identity all their own. And I feel like it's a disservice yep. to the brand. Agreed. I agree with you there. It's, I mean, most recently this year when they had gotten rid of AEW Dark and Elevation for this new Collision show, to me that felt like the best opening, the best ob situation for Ring of Honor to have some weekly shows on YouTube. I mean, if if it was possible, make a deal with the with the company to air Ring of Honor on tuesdays wherever the, the the slot that used where dark used to be on and then you'd have those maybe making an hour maybe an maybe an hour and 15 an hour and a half show of matches to where then when people watch aew and the ring of our championship is either going to happen on television or ring of our angle is happening on aew guess what they can easily switch to youtube so they can catch up but yeah the paywall really was the biggest issue and especially after tony khan had purchased it Everyone kept questioning, oh, are they going to get a TV deal? And then when Tony Khan tried to do the whole thing of dividing the time between AEW and Ring of Honor, clearly nobody was liking that. And uh, it, I think to me, I, the reason why it's my, I mean, it's not, it's in the middle because I kind of want to give at least Tony Khan some slack because this is something that honestly not many people can, This it's kind of like a, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, the fine line you got to walk because yes. while he loves Ring of Honor and he has respect for the brand, it's not necessarily something that Warner Brothers Discovery knows or has any kind of familiarity with. And they necessar can't necessarily take the risk of putting it on their television network in order to facilitate his, you know, fantasy booking dreams. I get that. <laughs> And I exactly. respect that. But at the same time, hell, Rampage is a nothing burger of a show. Make that into your Ring of Honor TV show and just focus on Collision and Dynamite and forget about Rampage because you're not doing anything in the ratings there any fucking way. Actually, now that you brought that up, Rampage could have been on the dark slot. And then, yeah, Fridays could have gone to Ring of Honor. That way you got three good promote. You got three shows happening on your days to where... Ring of Honor can be on Fridays either at maybe 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock and give it an hour, see how people feel about it, and then you can have Rampage there. So then you can divide your time. Because one thing I did appreciate when Dark and Elevation was on, they were at least able to record a lot of matches and make use of different areas in Orlando. Like So then any wrestlers that they just got, get their reps in. So they can get their reps in. And also gr slowly grow organic talent, which is one of the reasons it's one of the reasons why most of some of AEW's hot acts got over because they were solely being put. They were going through the grind during those uh, YouTube during those YouTube shows like Garcia, like Daniel Garcia, the acclaimed Sky Blue, Willow Nightingale, even though she Dark was very well. Dark Order. Exactly. Like so many acts, even the trios division, while 
the titles had not happened, there was a lot of trios matches on Dark. Same with Tag Division. Like, best way to really test out new teams, new gimmicks, was something that you can just put on for free on YouTube. And the fact that they have not gone back to that is upsetting, especially seeing what ROH is doing. Athena's long title reign? That's a great example of a long title reign. The problem is... Nobody we can't cares. see it unless Nobody by that paywall. And then that angle she had with Billy Starks, the minion in training to where it built to final battle. Unless you have that paywall, no idea. And then, of course, currently with um, with Shane Taylor, uh, with Shane Taylor getting the Moriarty, there's also now with Ethan Page rebuilding himself up. Him and Scorpio Sky are re-teaming up together, men of the year. But even some of the small stuff that's happening on Ring of Honor with the Righteous when they had gotten Stu Grayson in their group, and that led to a huge trip, uh, trios blood fest, uh, a huge brawl with Dark Order that put that turned them back into heels. If people did not know about that, then no. seeing Dark Order as faces to heels would have been something out of the blue. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I mean you're fine, but yeah, like it's so much. So much of what a lot of the characters that we see on AEW who have jumped back and forth to Ring of Honor and have changed and done like gimmick changes or even character changes from babyface to heel and have come back and been under those new, you know, face or heel dynamics would make so much more sense if we could see them consistently, but we fucking can't. And hopefully that's something that gets worked out in 2024. Yeah. Anyway, Brenton, we're on to your three. Okay. Okay, this is actually um, my number three is a finish to a match, and that is the John Moxley Ray Phoenix match. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I didn't have that in here, but you know, I I, I oh, kind of want to lump that in with my number one as well, or my one that's a little bit higher. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call a punt on that. Fair enough. For my number three, and this is probably this might be a little bit higher for you guys. I selected a match that actually. Ended up being just fine until they decided to fuck up the finish and drag things out even longer than they needed to. So my number three is Cody fails at WrestleMania. Okay, we're going to pop that. <laughs> All right, so number two for you, Ryan. Okay, anyone who's been listening to our show throughout all of our best and worst knows exactly what my number two is. But as James has said in the past, they are always going to be number two and they will stay number two forever. But I will just say this right now, Toxic Fandom forever number two. Yep. But officially for this list, it is for the first time I've been defending. I've been defending this division for a long time, waiting for it to grow. But this year was kind of like, finally it needs to be addressed. And that is AEW's fumbling of the women's division. Small punt. Okay. Like I said, a lot of a lot of stuff got lumped into my to my top picks. So, uh, Brenton, go ahead. So my number two is the all in incident with CM Punk and Jack Perry. Punt. Fair enough. My number two probably is going to be seen as the number one pick by the two of you. So we're probably going to get deep into a discussion on this one. Uh, a tragic situation that has deprived us of a truly, truly creative individual in not just the world of pro wrestling, but I think as a as an individual and as a human being. My number two is the death of Bray Wyatt. So, the, uh, so I didn't put that on my list out of respect. I know it, it was just hard because that's a hard subject. Right. And again, I'm, uh, let me phrase this. I'm not saying that this is uh, one of the worst moments of the year as like a bad thing or anything like it's just it's a it's a heartbreaking tragedy that is just a a rotten thing that has happened as fans because again we don't get to share in this guy's genius or anything like that 
But again, it sucks that it happened. It sucks that this guy is no longer with us. It sucks that his family has had to experience their first holiday season without him. Like I saw a post from his brother on Twitter. Oh. He used to call it X. Fuck you, Elon Musk. But yeah, I saw where he posted about like not being able to experience the holidays with him for the first time and it just feeling hollow and this, that, and the other. And I, it sucks. And it's, it's something that should never have had to happen. And it's nothing that any family should ever experience. My heart goes out to him, his family, his, his father, his brother, you know, Jojo, his sons, his kids, everybody who's connected with Bray Wyatt as a man who was a lifelong, a life, uh, I won't say a lifelong because he wasn't around that long, but who has been a, persistent fan of his character of his work his creativity and what he brought as a unique creative mind to the wrestling business it sucks that he's gone it sucks that they mishandled his character and it sucks that we as fans don't get to, won't get to see him redeem himself because the very last thing that he did in WWE was that ridiculous pitch black match at the Royal Rumble last year with and it's, and, it's, and, and the fact that that's the final image that we will ever associate with Bray Wyatt in WWE is hogwash. That and him doing the muscle man dance to taunt Bobby Lashley for a WrestleMania match that never happened. You know, not only did we lose someone who was just a fan of their character and a fan of what they did, we lost someone who, in all reality, was a just a great human being. And, you know, and like, I'm going to jump. Like to whenever, because so, a lot of people, uh, not a lot of people, I'd say some people gave Seth Rollins shit for not being at the the show where they honored Bray Wyatt. And but he put out a video and he said the reason he was is because it goes back to um, I'm going to bring up another death. It goes back to Brody Lee. Um, yeah. When that happened, um, the person that told him about it was Bray Wyatt. And the last thing Bray Wyatt said to him when he got off the phone was, hey, man, I love you. Go hug that baby girl. And he, so Seth Rollins, he said, his kids can't hug him. He said, so I'm going to spend time with my daughter because she still has her dad. Other kids, you know, his kids don't. And, you know, and he's like, it breaks his, it breaks my heart. And you can tell that video, it was Seth Rollins. It took, it was so hard for Seth Rollins because apparently they were so close. It's another reason why I will say fans are always going to be the shit list. Like the instant reactions there, I, I get it. He's he can't make it to the show, but even then, when he said his reasoning, and then of course when Becky was there at the show after she had won the main event match, you can see before they cut the camera, she started breaking down herself in honor of Bray Wyatt, and then of course the after Raw match where she talked to the fans about how much she loved Bray. I, I agree. I mean, the reason why this is not on my list, like I really wanted to focus more on just creative choices on why it was kind of bad in wrestling but if this was a top 10 list this immediately would be on my list this would yeah. immediately be on it because bray is one of those, those wrestlers just like Brody lee we saw had an opportunity to be not only main event players but top guys but because of a fucking terrible person of vince mcmahon he just could not see the money in that to where he was focusing on the spectacle over the substance of what Bray was giving with his characters from the Firefly Funhouse to his uh to to the I mean to the Fireflies to his old cult leader status. Like yeah. every bit, every gimmick, every new change that Bray made after the Husky Harris was immediate goal to where if you had just 
handled it right, did it in increments, you could have milked this for decades to where Bray, in that little promo leading up to 31 against the Undertaker, he really could have been the new face of fear. But it was just like everything. They, 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 said they just had to rush it. They wanted to get it out there. The final thing I will say on this is Bray Wyatt, hopefully, wherever you are, you're hanging out with Brody. You guys are doing your thing. And when the time comes for us to follow the buzzards, hopefully we'll see you all down the road. Until then, just know, Bray, you got the whole world in your hands. You got the whole wide world. In your hands, you got the whole world. In your hands, you got the whole world in your hands. We miss you, Bray. Always remember, run. run. <laughs> All right. Well, with that being said, we now move into our number one picks. Ryan, let us start with you. What you got? My number one is simply what. The fuck punk. Okay. Um, I'm going to tie. Uh, you know what? Fuck it. It'll tie in with my number one anyway. Um, Brenton, real quick. Let's go with yours. My number one is what the fuck main event of WrestleMania. Okay. So, yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. So, yeah. Uh, let's talk about it. Why? So, this is my thing. I'll, I'll say I'll t I can tell you why in two words. Vince McMahon. Oh, I know you can, and I don't want to talk about that shit. But, <laughs> but you know what? We got to talk about that shit. So here's the thing. Here's my deal. Go the ahead. whole lead up to it, the whole plan, the plan, literally, it has come out. It is the plan was for Cody to win the title. Roman was prepared to drop the title to Cody and take a vacation. And take time off, which he has been asking for. And honestly, was well-deserved. He's earned it. Let him do it. He's busted his ass. Until the day of. <sighs> let's take. Let's, no, I think Roman should still hold the title. Let's just fuck up everything we just did with this whole storyline. Like, what are you doing? I remember sitting there watching it, and I'm like, oh, this is. Whenever. Solo hit him with the Simone Spock and then the spear. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is gonna be an amazing kick out because that's the same thing that happened to Drew McIntyre earlier, yep. you know, the year before at Clash of the Castle. Yep. In his home in his homeland in Scotland. Right, exactly. So you so you said they're going, I'm you know, everybody said they're going, Oh, this is gonna be an amazing kick out. And then it hit three, and I'm sitting there looking, and I'm going, and I look at my buddy who's watching with me, and I we just looked at each other and we both went, What the fuck just happened? And you could see the audience was just flabbergasted at what they just witnessed. And the celebration of Roman, like Roman celebrating, was not a normal celebration, in my opinion, because you could tell he was like, this is bullshit. Would not have been shocked if he did what Brock did, just threw the title at Vince. It's like, there you go. This, to me, would have been like what would have happened if they ended WrestleMania 30 with Brock breaking the streak. This was such a what the fuck were you thinking moment like it was all right there the entire thing was gift wrapped for you on a silver platter cody rhodes being the conquering babyface champion going on to start new feuds something brand new something exciting something that's going to be you know electrifying and absolutely reignite the entire fandom and we just settled for the same old shit not just settle for it but 
made, but then decided to double down on it and go, well, we want Roman to be the longest, we want Roman to make history. We want him to be one of the the, the best modern champions of WWE. He this already time. was! Exactly. The, the reason why he was one of the best, because you took what really would have been Roman as a stale babyface through bad book and creative, had him come back, finally become more of a badass. He was giving those first six months of him back during the Thunderdome era of him becoming the tribal chief honestly had me so invested to where when he beat Jay and Jay started joining him, I immediately was seeing in my mind Jay becoming a main event player. After that, yeah. with that Hell in a Cell match that led to Jay becoming part of the bloodline, then Jimmy coming back, like all of that forming there, I saw, okay, this is going to play out for maybe 10, 12 months tops, then it's all going to happen. When it kept going, I lost interest, and Sammy came in, and that's also another thing with the WrestleMania. You also had a great opportunity, you had before that, Elimination Chamber with Sammy Zayn, that huge turn at Royal Rumble, that huge pop he got from the audience, being a house of fire. The moment when everyone knew Sammy was challenging before Cody, after he won the Rumble, it was clear you had two great opportunities, which is one of the reasons why I hated the fact that the titles were unified. If the championship had stayed separate, we could have seen Sammy challenge for that championship at the part two of at night two of WrestleMania, and then Cody challenges for the WWE title at night one. Both men and you could have had an opportunity to create not only double babyface champions, but two moments out of great storylines. But, you know, once again, Vince, like he always does, the night of changes something. It may have worked during the Ruthless Aggression era to create, like, some great heelish moments like Trish turning on Jericho or Stone Cold shaking Vince McMahon's hand at WrestleMania 18. But honestly, now with modern audiences, the fact that he has over for decades destroyed the idea of kayfabe and now he slowly wants to bring it back. This is just another situation where Vince, he threw himself in a fucking corner and he, he dug himself into a hole and he's too ignorant to see how deep it is. Much like Vince McMahon, the whole concept of this whole thing, it's just getting old. But also one thing that hurts with the Roman winning is because they did so much in that fight to get rid of Solo Sokoa, to kick get rid of the Usos, having having just recently Owens and Zayn come and defend Cody Rhodes. And then even then the promos leading up to it where Cody is being all respectful, that moment with between him and Paul Heyman bringing up history. Cody really gained himself endeared to the fans, especially when he had just returned from that pectoral injury. Literally yeah. right there. And then, of course, after that happens, once again, we're not only seeing WWE down, double down it, I'm seeing the disgusting fandom out there double down on it as well. They're saying, oh, well, Cody, uh, Cody needs to struggle more so he can become a champion. What the fuck are you talking about? He went and Cody struggled in the independent scene. For six years, came back from a freaking torn pec muscle, literally, when he didn't have to, went into a hell in a cell match, and had a damn near 30-minute match when he didn't freaking have to to entertain you people. What else do you want him to do? And even before that, before he went to the Indies, that career, his fucking career in WWE is 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 example enough on he doesn't need to struggle. Freaking stardust. It's one of the things that bring me back to Kofi Mania when Kofi was finally getting the opportunity. Look at his long career. He had that moment with Randy Orton where he called him stupid, that stalled any opportunity of him being a main event player. Then he was gaining it. Then it was happening to him. It was his time to win that championship. And the ignorance of most fans out there that are so hard that that want to defend WWE so much 
It's one of the reasons why I have a hard time watching it now. I mean, trust me, I'm having a hard time watching almost most wrestling when I see fandoms double down on something where something needs to be criticized, not just to get views or something on your fucking social media or YouTube or your Reddit trust or your me. Twitter channel. Trust me, we'll get into that with my number one. I'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Actually, that might that also does a little bit with my number two as well. But honestly, um, with this Roman angle, like Britain said, everything right there. Roman need, Roman wanted the time off. He earned that time off. He deserved that time off. And it would have been a great combination of the crumbling of the bloodline. Mm-hmm. So then when Roman came back, he could be a more vicious character to want to reestablish the bloodline is something more dangerous with him and Solo together. And the sad thing is they seem intent on doubling down on this nonsense again because they've already introduced the idea of The Rock facing Roman at WrestleMania, not yeah. Cody, which is another thing I've got a problem with. And if you want to know how I'd do it any better, stay tuned for another episode coming out later this month. But enough of our ramblings. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's the name of the freaking uh, podcast. I'm sure they've come to expect it by now. Okay. So you've heard me punt on a number of your different ideas and different complaints. And that's because I've kind of lumped them into my number one pick, which I have affectionately dubbed Monty Python Presents Tony Khan's Flying Circus. <laughs> Damn. That's good. <laughs> okay. I like that. I like it. That's good. So, yeah. For those of you, granted, there have been some good things in AEW this year. I mean, you look at the success of All In and Wembley. You look at, you know, characters like the Patriarch, Christian Cage, Timeless Tony Storm, the run that Eddie Kingston has had as Ring of Honor champion. Yes. You know, you look at the Moxley versus Orange Cassidy program, etc. There's uh, MJF versus Danielson at Revolution, the Iron yep. Man match. Yep, absolutely. Not only that, Danielson versus Ricky Starks, the strap match. Danielson mm-hmm. versus Zack Sabre Jr. at Wrestle Dream. They've had a lot of good Re- stuff. The Elite reuniting, even though it wasn't as big, but it was still a big moment. Yep, all of that sort of thing. But holy fuck, have there been some bad things going on over there this year. I mean, sweet Jesus, tap dancing Christ with dinner, a show, and a kiss goodnight. Yeah, not even both jangles can get me through this. <laughs> yeah. First of all, first and foremost, let's talk about the injuries that have happened this year. I mean, we kind of mentioned it before. Like, Shit. Moxley getting dropped on his freaking head or getting concussed during his match with Phoenix. That's, you know, besides the... I was going to say, I, I know you were about to uh, you were about to say I'm cool, but also, Pac, this year, he came yep. back from an injury, then got himself re-injured again. Yep, exactly right. Adam Cole injuring his foot on a freaking jump off the stage. Wow! Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson breaking his arm against Okada, then breaking his orbital bone in the Continental, or before the Continental Club. Uh, again, I believe it was that it was against it was that tag match with Andrade and uh, yeah. Oh, no, uh, I think it was, it was Cassidy and Shibata, wasn't it? Oh yeah, Cassidy and Shibata. That's right. Yes, you've got AEW originals like QT Marshall and Dana Massey leaving. Kevin Sullivan, their head of production, not that Kevin Sullivan. No, you got Raphael Morphy, one of their head of live events, all abandoning ship. You've got the continuing dwindling attendance, the continued lack of focus on the AEW women's division. Like I mentioned, like Ryan mentioned before, a, complete- there was also the lack of focus on the tag team division. Uh, yep. And then, of course, with the, the, the introduction of the trios title, I mean, and then not focus. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I would say one of the reasons why it pissed me off that Dark and Elevation were gone because you lost focus on building that divi- on b- those two divisions. Then you talk about the complete what the fuckery that was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre match between Jeff Hardy and Jeff Jarrett earlier this year. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now, again, the only plus side on that one is it was done during the whole Australian wildfire thing and all the money that was uh, earned during Fight for the Fallen, yes. which I aired on, was donated toward that cause, which is why I give it a slight pass. 
But of course, let's talk about the real elephant in the room, which is the whole punk elite Jack Perry situation. Oh my god. Well, I mean, I will say before we get before we all let our voices out, I did uh earlier like I mean later last year I did watch uh Brian Zane of Wrestling Regret. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, it's a great unbiased. No matter what you might find across in the comments, is a great unbiased overall look at a, a CM Punk and AEW. And honestly, watching that video did help bring back some of my frustrations with CM Punk of that year and of the previous, well, mainly of this year because he came back right around uh, for the premiere for the debut of Collision. I was actually in San Diego when Tony Khan made that announcement that CM Punk was going to be the debut episode of Collision. The reaction was mixed. And I'm not saying mixed at best. It was mixed. I was sitting on one side of the audience where I was hearing a mixture of boos. But then I then I would uh, then I was talking to other people and they were on the other side where they were cheering for Punk. So to say one thing that Punk is a polarizing character is not putting it lightly. He really is. And then of course seeing his time on Collision, it was it, it honestly looked to me that he really was done. And I'm like, okay, he's just gonna he's gonna wrestle for the remainder of his contract. And then not re-sign. Because to me, I'm like, if he's done, he's done. But then I'm hearing all the news that, oh, looks like Punk has producing power. He's having a backstage problem. He's having backstage incidents with people who are friends with the elite, like Nick, like Ryan Nemeth, Christopher Daniels, who's also, who's who's mainly, or who's mainly the head talent. of talent relations. Exactly. And then he's banning people, and he's like banning people from collision. And I'm going, what the fuck is this guy doing? For someone who earlier in his first year in his promos was talking about you show respect to those who deserve it or you should not. Uh, uh, I can't remember all his promos, but the fact is that he's. Oh, yeah. His promo against a King is like, I hold you to the same level of professionalism that you should have. I'm sorry, but this fucking year made him one of the biggest fucking hypocrites I have ever seen. If he, That's why when he did return to WWE, I felt nothing. Everyone else might feel something, and but to me, just those three months between collision to all in really made me feel like that he could have really turned things around. If he wanted to wait out to his contract, he really could have. He could have sat at home and wait till his contract was done. Punk, to me, he could have done so much if he was given the position of power, but he ended up becoming something similar to Hogan was in WCW. Like he just used his political power and his French and whatever friendship he had. He salvaged from Tony to really just run the show however he wanted to. <laughs> uh, look, this is just my, like I said. This is my these. This is most of my emotions here. I know everyone else is going to be conflicted. They're going to have different opinions on this. But as someone like you, Brenton, I was excited to see Punk in AEW. It really hurt to see this change. That's again. This is one side of the coin, Brenton. Yeah. I imagine you have a slightly different view. So our viewers know CM Punk is my favorite wrestler. Is and always will be. Do I think he was acting different than he usually does? Yes. I think like there were some things that he was doing. That I was kind of like, I don't, that's not punk. I don't know why you're doing this, but whatever. But you no, know, leading into the whole, the whole situation at all in with Jack Perry, um, it, from what I've heard, and I could be wrong. This all started when CM Punk vetoed the idea of using, uh, when Jack Perry wanted to use real glass in a match. It was not in a match. It was a backstage or, angle. He or wanted a, to be what, so he could go on a vacation or like a honeymoon with uh, Anna Jay for a little while. 
Yeah. But he wanted to use real glass. I've been at a wrestling show backstage with people who have been through real glass, actual wrestlers who have been through real glass. They will tell you it is the dumbest thing to do because it can royally, royally mess you up. Yeah. It's real glass is heavily reinforced, especially uh, like one of the best examples, uh, Shane and Curry Angle's match at SummerSlam. No, not SummerSlam, but they're they're, they're King of the Ring. King of the Ring. The fact that Kurt, Kurt has said in interviews along with Shane, they wanted to suplex him through underneath the ring. I mean, well, through one of the glass plates, guess what? Turned out to be real glass. It took them multiple attempts to do it. And you clearly do see that, yeah, Shane got hurt his head because it yeah, didn't happen. Up. Yeah, they fucked up. And uh, honestly, from what I was reading about that, I will give Punk, I give Punk credit there. He's like, no, I see that's too dangerous. I want to protect your health. My, and then who the fuck approved that? So it's, to me, honestly, there's just like egos really we're getting the best of each other to where I'm thinking to myself, God damn it. They really here's, should. Here's, and again, I, I hate to intercut here, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, Cause my, I was about to turn, I was about to go, I was about to turn into the worst. Yeah. As, as a, as you mentioned before, Brian Zane did bring this up in his, his video. He said punk basically vetoed the idea because he had producing credit on the show, but other people in the office had said it was okay. But Perry, from what I understand, believe punk vetoed the idea, not because he was looking out for his health, but simply because Jack was friends with the elite. He thought it was one of those pissing contest deals where things weren't communicated correctly. So the biggest thing is, and I think by his own admission, we've all heard Punk say he's not the clearest communicator, doesn't necessarily get along with everybody. So I will simply say this. There were failures in communication at every level in this whole situation. Oh, completely agree. I do agree on there's that. Not, I really do. Like, I'm, I'm holding, nobody is blameless. Everyone's at fault. Exactly. Absolutely. There, there is not a single individual involved in this situation. Tony Khan, CM Punk, Matt, Nick Jackson, Ken, uh, Kenny Omega, Ace Steel, yep. Jack Perry. None of these guys are blameless. But I feel like the buck has to stop at Tony Khan because, and Tony, if you're listening to this, I want you to pay very close attention to what I say next. Ryan, Brenton, you may want to cover your ears. RIP headphone users. Here You're the fucking boss. These motherfuckers answer to you. If these guys aren't getting along, put them in a fucking room together and make them talk it out. There's a whole report that he offered a meeting between the elite and CM Punk before they left for All In in Wembley Stadium or something like that. Yeah, it was, I heard it was before, like before yeah, the whole thing. declined to attend. Motherfucker, these guys work for you. Tell them to shut the fuck up, grow a set, put on their big boy pants, and do as they're fucking told. More than that, he's the money. He's the reason exactly. why AEW is happening. So if Tony does not want to be the guy for confrontation, because honestly, especially looking at how he would help with how he helped management with Jack, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, with his family. It seems to me Tony wants to be, in a way, kind of like Shane. He wants to be someone who's cool with the boys in the locker room. Well, That's exactly the problem. He wants yeah. to be one of the boys. He doesn't want to be a boss. He wants to be one of the boys. Which, again, if that's what you want, if you don't want to have the balls to be the bad guy, then hire somebody who fucking will. That's one of the one things I, I give slight slight credit to Vince McMahon is that at least he understands he is the boss. 
I don't like how his creative directions go, but when it comes, well, even then, there was personal matters that even he pushed to the fucking wayside, but when it came to the overall sight of wanting the company to succeed and keep moving forward, he wanted to put wrestlers in their place, or at least stop the childish shenanigans. It didn't work all the time, but at least he put his foot down. Tony, on the other hand, if Brawl Out was an example, and then, of course, even before Brawl Out, some of the biggest blunders he fucking made. One, best examples was with uh, Big Swole, fucking Leo Rush. Even every time he's on Twitter, Tony, you want to promote. I get it, but God damn it, don't respond when a wrestler is airing their grievance out about how they were handled in your company. It's going to happen. It's one of the examples why whenever I see fans like to go, here's how I would do this. Here's how I would run this. Like, no offense, Tony Khan is the example why a fan should not be personally and emotionally invested in his wrestlers when running a company. Again, Tony, love love what you've done for the business, offering this alternative, this, that, and the other. We'll always be thankful for it. But my two biggest advice, pieces of advice to you, be a fucking boss, grow a set, and get control of your guys. And number two, much like my advice to Trump, stop fucking tweeting. I will watch and AEW as long as it's around, but the moment where I hear news that AEW has lost TV deals... Then I'm like, okay, we need a fucking change in management because you because something happened here. <laughs> but in any case, those are our selections for the absolute worst things that went on this year in the world of professional wrestling. What do you guys think? Let us know in the comments section. Let, leave us a review here. Let us know what you think we got right, what we got wrong. Helps us out a great deal. Check us out on wherever you get your little podcasts, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. We're always there. Go ahead and subscribe so that way you never miss a new episode. We are going to try to be a lot more consistent with our episodes this year. So we do appreciate you guys tuning in. Go ahead and share the podcast around. It costs you guys nothing to do it. So it's going to say there's absolutely no downside. So we appreciate it. So thank you guys so much for joining us. On behalf of myself, James Shimo, he has been Mr. Ryan Payne. And that's been Brent McPherson. And we will see you guys next time. And until then, hey, ref, ring the bell already.